This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? Be? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me live on tape from New York City here at Vox Media Headquarters. This guy's been hard to get. We got him. Welcome, Alex Mather, CEO of The Athletic. Thanks for having me, Peter. I think everyone knows what The Athletic is because we've been talking about it on this podcast for about two years. Sure. Subscription-only sports site should not be successful because no one pays for anything and no one pays for sports, yet you guys are, what, three years old? We are closing in on our fourth anniversary. Coming in on on the fourth year, and how many subs do you have? Our most recent public announcement was 600,000, and we're well north of that. Closing in on a million, I think, people in and outside the company say by the end of this this year. That's, That's our hope, and... Uh, if not, we'll be close. So we'll go over some basics, and then we'll we'll, sure. we'll back up. So ten bucks a month for subscription. Uh, Sixty dollars a year yeah. is generally what we say. You can buy annually. You can buy monthly. You do lots of yeah. promotions, but the rack rate is ten dollars. Ten dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. That's right. right. That's right. So we can do some math. Six hundred thousand. Ten ish, sixty ish bucks a year. Yeah. It's a real business. It is. Uh, we we were pretty proud. Lots of skepticism <laughs> when you guys launched, as you guys expand, as you guys raise money, and even when you put out subscriber numbers. Sure. Um, I'm sure you've heard this before, right? Yes. Uh, so you guys, I think, you go to Bloomberg every three months and say, we have a new subscriber number, and they write a profile. <laughs> I'm only half joking. Um, but I, I swear to God, I've talked to a bunch of people who run sports sites, and they go, that 600,000 number can't be real. That's got to be total subscribers over the lifetime of the company. Uh, it's active subscribers. It's people who are logging in every single day. Those are people paying you. To, so 600,000 right plus people paying you every day to read yeah. or once a month mm-hmm. to read. Mm-hmm. You started it four years, almost four years ago. That's right. You and your co-founder. I think you have two origin stories. I like. There's one I like better. You 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 pick. You okay. Tell me, you tell me which origin story you want to tell me. I I think there's only one truth. I'd I'd love to hear yeah. the alternate. Universe. Well, you told me it, so I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I met my co-founder at uh, Strava, where we both previously worked, and Strava is a uh, community for endurance athletes, and it's also a subscription business. Uh, it's usually a cycling app, right? Cycling, running, uh, you can do other things but on it as but well. But you're a hardcore cycling nerd, you're sharing yeah, maps, et cetera. Exactly. If you're riding a couple hundred miles a week or you're running a marathon, yeah. you can track your activities there, but also you could pay to get more analytics or or safety features and cool things like that. Successful and, subscription business at a niche audience. Yeah, and I was lucky enough to join that company very early and helped build the 
the subscription backbone of the company, and this is uh, early 2011. And so since 2011, have been very deep in the subscription business model and uh, learning the tricks and trades, the little things that work, the things that don't, and made lots of mistakes and continue to learn. But um, I'm just really passionate about the subscription business model. It's really simple. Uh, you build something really great and people pay you for it. So you, you go to work for a successful subscription business yep. and your thought is, I want to build another successful yeah, subscription I, business. And there was a point in which uh, we had uh, internationalized the company at Strava and had um, you know sort of uh, the, the, f- the fun, really f- high growth period was fading and I was interested in starting something from scratch and seeing if uh, if I could do it on my own. This is the story you told me, which yeah. is the, the reason I like it, because you, you see, it doesn't, normally, the the when you get a founder in and they've yeah. had any kind of training or they've done any kind of pitching, they go, we wanted to solve this problem for sure. consumers, or we wanted to figure out how to sell our, sure. our Pez dispensers, and or whatever it is. Oftentimes, it's not true. And I think a really good story is, I wanted to start a business with these characteristics. That's right which in your case is subscription. Yes. And so how did you get to sports? Yeah, and, uh, and what, what, what else I think the second part is exactly what you just said, which is uh, I was a, a really frustrated sports fan. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm from Philadelphia, who, and I live in San Francisco, uh, so I don't necessarily care to read the, the local newspaper, which has politics and restaurants and, um, you know, the— You're like, show me footage of dudes eating, their own, eating <laughs> horse poop. <laughs> Because that's Philadelphia uh, sports. Those are my people, yeah. uh, and um, uh, which often happens in San Francisco for other reasons. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so was really frustrated as a sports fan, not getting the content that I wanted for the teams that I care about, given that, you know, the ESPNs of the world, while they produce amazing content, generally focus on LeBron James yeah. or the Dallas Cowboys. And they don't do local. They've tried local yeah, at a national level. Generally doesn't work. I mean, how many big companies have tried local in some form, and local yeah. is a— you know, fist fight in 47 different places at the same time. And and you just didn't want to uh, subscribe to the Philadelphia Inquirer? I wasn't getting the content that I liked there. I was getting, you know, kind of the same thing they've done for the past 30 years, which is here's what happened or here's my very uh, specific opinion. Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, just to kind of plug one of my favorite people ever is Nate Silver and 538. I was like, I love what 538 does. I love what Grantland did. Uh, how do I bring those kind of things to a Philadelphia sports fan. Whenever those sites uh, wrote about the Eagles or the Sixers, I would read that article like five times. Right. And how could we create that in a local market? But did you go to sports right away, or did you try out other ideas? No, it was it was sports from the beginning. Um, so you weren't it, selling long-haired Asian <laughs> cat. <laughs> well, if you go back to 2000, before I joined Strava, uh, I was dreaming of this idea in sports, and it was called the armchair. A way worse name than the athletic. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I, I settled on the athletic, uh, and uh, the idea was take some of my favorite people who cover Philly sports, and many of which we've hired, uh, who are a little nerdier, who break down plays, who go deeper than perhaps the the newspaper writer who is is hitting a deadline to just say what happened. They have a different job, um, more bloggish content mixed with reporting. I thought that that would be really interesting to fans, um, and. I was wrong um, in a lot of ways. Like most people don't really want like deep analytics. Most people, a lot of people do, but you know, in mass, it really came down to storytelling as we launched. And um, but I can, yeah. I, I, back to the origin story, I convinced my co-founder Adam, who uh, was at Strava as well, to leave and uh, said like you know media in general's 
know, the, the struggles are very public and very known at this point. But even five years ago, it was very clear that Facebook, Google were taking over digital advertising. Right. But five years ago, there was this boomlet yeah. in, in, in investor interest in media, but it was yeah. all around stuff that was going to be free. Yeah. That was going to be specifically Facebook friendly. Yeah. You're sitting in an office that was, was funded yeah. with, with some of that premise. And so you were saying, no, no, we're not going to be free. Yeah. That was a big challenge. We're not going to distribute <laughs> on Facebook. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine even when you're just trying to raise just whatever yeah, I mean, every single money. person we talked to to raise money from was was telling us to go that route. Right. And go free. Yeah. And, and are they also saying, by the way, don't even do sports because there's SB Nation, there's Bleacher Report, there's ESPN, there's Dude's yeah. Blogs. Yeah. I mean, when you start, a, anyone starts a company, I mean, there's so many people who tell you that there's so much competition yeah. and there's so many reasons not to do what you're doing. By the um, way, sometimes those reasons are correct. And uh, and in many cases, in our case, it may be true. I have no idea. Um, I do know that uh, what I, my instinct in the very beginning was uh, people will pay for good things. I have always paid for HBO. I have always paid for The Economist. These are the things that I like to consume, and I have you know, no problem paying an extra $10 on my cable bill for HBO or whatever the price yeah. is, uh, because if they launch a new show, I watch. Uh, there's no question about it. And I felt that in sports, uh, no one was going to take on that challenge. And no one was going to say, we're going to hire really great people. We're going to ha have them do really great work. And we're not going to clutter it with ads. We're not going to focus on Facebook. And we're not going to, you know, sort of look into those, those incentives or, um, you know, those, those rat races that those companies at that time were looking into. And now, you know, kudos to, you know, the Voxes and the BuzzFeeds of the world for building really big, great businesses. It's taken a long time. And um, there's a lot to be proud of in that model, too. For every, Everyone said it wouldn't work, but it's working. Too. And, um, but from our perspective, we said, well, there is an, a percentage of the audience that would pay for really good stuff. The, the subscription stuff that was out there, Sports Illustrated, not sure. quite RIP, but, but close sure. to it. Uh, and then ESPN had a, had a subscription thing Absolutely. that was mostly aimed sort of at fantasy players, I That's think, right. and yeah. sort of deeper analytics. But again, I sort of the thinking was like, all right, there's a niche audience that likes a specific thing. It's probably around gambling, even, though, even if they don't want to say gambling. Yep. But if you're a Mets fan or whomever, probably between your local paper and the sports blog and whatever SB Nation does for the Mets, you've got enough. But your thesis was no. There's yeah, not. on the surface level, so much content. Yeah. Right? But if you actually dive deeper and look, a lot of it's aggregated. A lot of it's like, you know, companies taking the work of like, you know, if you look at the New Orleans Pelicans, how many reporters are actually following that team? I know we are. We had right? Brian Curtis in here a couple yeah. couple months ago. Yeah. He did a great story about how there were three. I love that. And yeah, one, and one of them had another job. Yeah. yeah. And they share a car, right? I, I mean, uh, there are only so many people actually reporting the news. And then there are companies that live on top of that. And I think a discerning sports fan can see right through that and uh, want more. They want depth. Uh, how many outlets now you click on a salacious headline? Still, it's 2019, and there's a tweet embedded, and there's a sentence above and a sentence yeah. below, right? I've written some of those. No, you haven't. I, sh I absolutely have. Really? Yeah. That's, I'm sorry. But it didn't you, take very long. Yeah, um, but you get my point. A lot of it is surface level, and we just felt that there's this opportunity for people to to produce great content that people will read. And, and there's a, it's not a, a massive, you know, hundreds of millions of people reading it, but you know, HBO has great margins. Uh, we hope longer term we have great margins. And, and you know, 
premium businesses generally have great margins. I want to talk more about your business, how sure. it's working. Um, we're free. Yep. We're ad-supported. We're going to take a quick break. Be back in a minute. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Back here with Alex Mather, still offering a subscription-only product. <laughs> you guys are really uh, rigid about the paywall. We are. There's almost nothing free. Yeah. I went to the site today, and they're like, here's yeah. a bunch of reasons Chaos. why you should give us money. Yep. And none of them include, and, and there's no free stories. Nope. Uh, you do have a free podcast. Yep. The Lead. Yep. Um, yeah. It's, it's really it's, cool. It's, it's like your version of The Daily. That's right. Because I'm assuming the theory is that's marketing for you? Uh, it's a bunch of things. Um, and part of it is absolutely marketing. Um, we, we, we think that audio, currently the distribution for audio is Apple and Spotify and, yep. and some other catchers for, for pods. And uh, there's a really big audience to build there. And uh, we love the audio format. And working with Wondery on deep stories for that podcast felt like a really fun thing to do. And just seeing some of the written stories come to life uh, over a podcast is, is really fun. And can, can you make money from that pod? Or, or oh, absolutely. Think, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, daily podcasts, uh, if they're done well, I think generally pretty profitable. Um, uh, but so the goal is necessarily, isn't necessarily for us, the athletic, to make lots of money on it. Maybe it is for Wondery. And um, our goal is, is, you know, building our brand and getting uh, our, our brand out to, to more and more people and have them hear our great stories. Let's go over some of the more the mechanics of the business. You are actually paying writers; they are salaried. <laughs> uh, they're not running their uh, own micro site. Crazy. They're not forming <laughs> their own LLC like no. the the Maven is going <laughs> to ask their contributor network to do. No, they are. Uh, we have four hundred and seventy five folks in our newsroom. You've hired four hundred and seventy five editorial employees. That's right. In nearly four years. That's right. And so you should get an award for that. <laughs> we pay them really well. Really we, well means what? What's the range of salary? 30, 40% higher than they've made before. Um, but, you know, a living wage in every city on earth. Uh-huh. And these are people who generally had a, paper, a job at the local whatever paper. Uh, some people have come from newspapers, some magazines, some websites, you know, some TV or radio companies. Is there a bonus still for converting mm -hmm. subscribers? Some of our higher-end folks uh, have that built into their contracts. Many of our folks are contract employees where we have them for four years and they have agents and, you know, it's a talent business. It's, yeah, it's, you, you were walking, th I met you a couple years ago, you were walking through the bottle. Yeah. It seemed too good to be true. Like you were going to have a, it was a big base salary and then there was a big <laughs> subscription bonus. And by the way, you kept that bonus yep. going forward. Yep. That still exists. Or and you've, equity. You've, you've and, we, you've and we provide equity to every full-time editorial employee. 
we really took the problem head on, and I think it relates to, you know, the very hard paywall, which is if we can't make this work, let's find out as soon as possible. Uh, cutting corners uh, everywhere isn't going to get us that answer. Uh, so let's take this on. Let's hire the best people. Subscription does not work without the best people. You know, HBO or Netflix does not work without the best people, and you have to pay the best people. You have to treat them really well to to keep them around. I'm a little confused because you you guys really emphasize local. Yep. Whatever market you go to, you you were walking me through this. You were saying if we go to Minnesota, we don't say we're going to run a Vikings blog necessarily. We see right. who we can hire, who's good, and if that person covers hockey, then we're going to run a sure. Minnesota Wild blog. Is that still yep. the same theory? Uh, I mean, we're we're comprehensive now in the United so States just, and Canada. We we hire for every team in, in the okay, country. So, whether so you it be, do that, yeah, pro or college. But you also then are hiring a lot of people who I assume are not cheap, um, yep. who have a very national profile. That's right. So I can't quite figure out. <laughs> well, uh, you know, how, I think we started works. the company uh, really uh, thinking about local, right? That was kind of our our crack that we tried to uh, kind of get our crowbar into, and, and said, you know, no one's really taking on this local problem. With, You're an Eagles fan. We have suffering. Exactly. And what uh, I was wrong in that, like I thought that people would just follow the Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, um, and Phillies, and and be on with it, but I was completely wrong. Um, people wanted to follow the NBA. People want who live in San Francisco want to follow the Warriors, the Eagles, and uh, you know the Liverpool in the UK. You know the bundle has become our most powerful thing. If you're a sports fan, the bundle and, means what in this context? Yeah, the bundle for us is just you know a English Premier League team, a college football team, a college basketball team, a pro team in one city and a pro team in another. Um, people. Follows, you have a bunch of stuff, and it's all in one service. Yeah, like two-thirds of our subscribers are under 44. So what you should just call a newspaper, right? It has I a mean, bunch of different things. It has a bunch of different stuff. Yeah. But, um, and you know, two-thirds of our subscribers are under 44. Uh, folks who are younger follow teams differently than perhaps uh, you know, older folks do. They, they, they see every game on TV. They follow players. They, the, 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 the sports interest sort of quote-unquote bundle is different, and that really surprised me. And, you know, that has created a company where it makes sense for us to hire people who cover the sports nationally. So you show up to a new town, new market. Yeah. How long does it take you to, to sort of build it, out what you need? It depends on the, on the market, but I'll give you a very concrete example around the U.K. Uh, earlier this year, we— uh, It was a big move for you guys. It was, and, and we, you know, in, in our board meeting, we were questioning whether we should do it this year or not. And uh, from the moment we decided to evaluate the opportunity to launch, it took a, 119 days. Um, so about four months from, that's like, from should we do it? And to we've hired writers. To we've hired producing. 55 people. Uh, covering Premier League, covering that's, Premier League, covering the champion, uh, the Champions League, and the Championship, and and that obviously that's not just a UK audience, right? Because those teams have it's a like global a, audience. Only about half the audience is in the UK, yeah, uh, and that was definitely part of the thesis there. Are you profitable yet? No, no. And are individual markets profitable? How long does Many it take are, to get yeah. there? I mean. There's so many ways to slice and dice a business like this. Like the bundle is complicated. Yeah. There isn't like a typical user. People follow lots of things, but you know we absolutely look at margins in this company. And and you know if we, uh, I'll use an example. Our first market, Chicago. Uh, you know, we ha- have hired ten or eleven people in that market, and so they have a certain cost, and they travel, and we have freelancers, and they have benefits, and and all that stuff. And um, we allocate a lot of national um, of the national employees to them, and um, that is a very profitable market for us. It's it's three and a half years old. It's 
drives you know very positive margins for us, and almost every one of our local markets uh, gets there in a couple years. So you show up in a couple years, you kind of get to that, and then I'm assuming the growth rate tails off, sort of once you've, Chicago you've has, and I mean it's, it's still, still very healthy, and that's you know that's kind of the 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 beauty is that we don't need to keep hiring, we don't need 50 people covering the teams in Chicago, right? We don't need six people covering the White Sox. So you know there generally is an attractive margin out there. Uh, it's just a matter of time. And if you look at any subscription business, that's how it's played out. It just takes time. It's not as sexy as, as like the top line traffic of some of these big free sites. But um, if, we have, if we've got great retention, if we you know, engage our, our subscribers regularly and they stick around, then over the years, it becomes a very, very profitable business. How does this business differ from what you were doing at Strava or generic subscription business? Or is it sort of, you can sort of plug and play this strategy a bunch of different A places. lot of the things have been transferable around the DNA of the company, the metrics we track, how we talk about our economics, how we think about the KPIs for our engagement team, our retention team, it's our win back KPI team. for non-MBA people. Uh, key performance indicator. Mm. Thing you want to get done. Yes, yes. The stuff that we really track that really drive our, our business. And, um, and you know, those kind of things uh, transfer over. What's so different is... It's a media company. Yeah. Every day I wake up and it's a new product. That was the second question. Yeah, what's, it's, what's it like working with journalists it, who are I lovely mean, people and also assholes? <laughs> uh, they're tricky. Um, they're uh, they're trickier than you know computer code. That at Strava we just write code, um, uh, but uh, they are wonderful people. I've I've personally recruited uh, well north of a hundred of them, um, and uh, you know we found that the relationship is really really strong between us and them. And, um, you know, we've, we've done it by asking a lot of questions. How can we be better? How can we um, make this thing work? How can we get better work out of you? And how, what's, like, what's the best way for us to get the best work out of every writer is our goal. They say pay me more. That's part of it. Uh, what's the retention like once you've, once you brought these guys in? Talent or subscribers? Talent. I think we've lost two or three people total out of 500. Pretty good. And then actually on the subscriber, I, I hear from people around your business that uh, that you have an insanely good churn rate. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Retention is is one of our you know strongest metrics, and um, it really comes back to the product we're building. Uh, and so most of our subscribers subscribe annually. Sports is like a wonderfully annual yeah. business. Uh, and know, the people who are coming in for a dollar, those... That, yeah, I'll, I'll address that in a second. I think it's related in that most of our subscribers are annual, well north of 90%, and uh, 83% of those folks pay for their next year, uh, regardless of the first year price. So you come in for a dollar, whatever, uh, the, whatever it, the promo yeah, is. Whether it be 30%, 40% off. And then and you bump me up to 60 bucks. That's right. And, and I, pay it. I think it's 80 basis point difference or something in, in, in retention. Uh, and uh, what's crazy, we were just running some numbers on a bigger cohort that a bigger set of subscribers that have been with us for three years now or two years now, uh, 98% retention from year one to two. So once you're in, you're in. Uh, and what we've seen is our bundle continues to get stronger as we hire more journalists and we cover more teams or we cover teams better. And uh, you know that retention just gives us so much confidence to go out and hire more journalists or pay them more. And um, you know that's just the the core of it. If you if you can retain your subscribers, then you have so much opportunity to build a better product and, and hopefully keep you know competition well behind you. I'm trying to remember when I met you, but it was a couple years ago. It was after your infamous New York Times. Interview. Sure, we'll get to that. Yep. Uh, I remember we had very expensive eggs. 
Yes, we're very expensive for eggs. I was like, you're a startup? Uh, But thank you for the eggs. We're a subscription, but premium subscription business. So you're walking me through the economics of this, and we're making money in each market, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, this is great because you're throwing off. I think you said you were profitable at the time. Like, this is great. You can fund this thing without having to go raise money. You can retain that equity. And this is, you know, you can, it's a self perpetuating thing. And then I think, you know, a month later, you announced (laughs) a giant round. Um, Raise a bunch of money, grow really fast is a very conventional model, but it's also one that people are rethinking a bit now, sure. particularly in media. Um, I think one of the one of the lessons people have learned in this last round of media stuff is if you raise a lot of money, then you've got to build a really, really big business sure. to meet that valuation. And there's an argument for just going to not doing that. Sure. Uh, how do you think, how do you think that through? Uh, I think from day one, we definitely wanted to build a big company. And, you know, we went through Y Combinator very early and our ambitions were to big, build a big company. Uh, and we think that the opportunity is there. That said, you know, capitalizing the business has, you know, is something new to us. And, you know, it's, it's you know, to the outside world, it sometimes seems obvious. But when you're in it and you're growing fast, it's not simple. It's a really complicated equation. Because uh, the, the trade would be... Fund your own growth. And it would take five years longer to— But then you would own close to 100% of the company. If you sell it for a few hundred million dollars, yeah. you've made a life-changing amount of money. Now, if you sell it for a few hundred million dollars, your investors will be disappointed because you've raised how much so far? Uh, we've raised about $100 million. Right. So you've got to do much, much more than sure. that to have a what's considered a, a giant win. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, selling the company is not a priority. Liquidity is not a priority. These yeah. are all things you're going to think about and are uh, thinking about. We, we think about them. It's not a priority. Uh-huh. What's a priority is building a really big, uh, profitable business. And uh, that starts with just hiring great people and having them do great work. And what we felt in terms of raising the money was uh, we can hire better people. We can give them the benefits uh, that we think they deserve. 12 weeks paternity leave that I just took. Um, and Congrats. Thank you. And those kind of things give us that retention around the best talent. You know, you're, you're still in the same place that you've been for a while. There's a bunch of reasons why, right? And, you know, Kara and this office yep. and whatever it might be, right? And, and we water. think— Water. Yeah. Water loose, so, sparkling water. So delicious. I miss you, LaCroix. Uh, you know, those kind of things add up, and I, we kept coming back to, you know, we say it internally a lot, it's just no shortcuts, and how do we hire the best people? How do we pay them really well? How do we let them travel as much as they want to so travel? there was no real debate about, about do we go out and raise a ton of money? I mean, we've had a ton of many opportunities. I think what has happened is we had to have, we've had many opportunities to sell the company. And as founders, you kind of face that, and you say, and you kind of, you know, just think about life on the other side, and you say, this is so much fun. And how many opportunities do you get to actually build a company where you're hiring journalists, they're doing the best work of their careers, and people are paying? I mean, you just, it feels like lightning in a bottle. And uh, I'm going to do the cynical translation, which is you guys think if you can keep growing faster, you can get a giant valuation for this, make a much much bigger business, and eventually you will make that much more money. Yeah. It's a giant bet to take as a founder. To me, it's not. I I don't, I, I, I hate to not be cynical um, because in many ways I am cynical. But, you know, as it comes to our company, I'm not cynical at all. This is the job of a lifetime. And uh, we take it very seriously that we're creating a journalism-based uh, company that is going to be profitable, that is going to do great work, and is going to make a difference in sports right now. And that's like that to me is the priority. And, and uh, our investors are extremely patient. 
uh, and there is not some rush for liquidity or or anything like that. And uh, and you know that to us is is the priority. And you know valuations are just not something <laughs> we don't talk about valuations. I think that's that's something that media talks about. Uh, much more than the in, inside the company, uh, at least of the healthy companies I've spoken to and the healthy the founders of healthy companies, you know, it's it's focusing on your metrics and and winning. Yeah. And then the employees <laughs> want to know how much money their their company. Absolutely, worth. and we have given our you know our employees many uh, opportunities to talk about that openly with us. Yeah, can they see their four hundred nine A? That's the internal. Yeah, we, yeah. We use Carta. And they, all right, they, good. they're looking at that at all times. Right, we should do more of that. You guys are moving into video. You've raised some of the money you've you've, you've raised yep. is going to video. That yep. one puzzles me. Sure, uh, I get there's a rationale for video in the ad world, right? It's higher CPMs, sure. whether or not that's actually true. And it seems to me for sports, the value of video in sports is I have live game rights. That's right. Those are super expensive. You're not buying those. Uh, definitely not. Right. So and and then the core of your subscription offering is really well reported stuff you can't get anywhere else. Sure. It's hard for me to figure out what video how where video fits so in. So with that world. video, it's an experiment, and we're testing journalism with video. Whether that be investigative stories, whether that that be profiles on people you want to get to know, and we've done some stuff on Shaq and get to know his business side, and um, we have a great story, a great video story out today on on ADHD and uh, some stuff going on at the University of North Carolina. I listened to the podcast version of that. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, th- these are things that we wanted to experiment with. And so you, um, you you consider this an experiment? Do, abso- do, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, do, you, do you think it's reducing churn? Can you see any benefit from it yet? Uh, we absolutely see benefit during a trial if a, if a subscriber. Uh, or a trialer watches a video, they're much more likely to subscribe. And same with podcasts. And so you think it just sort of adds heft? For us, you know, the medium is is experimental. You know, just written word journalism. I used to read you at All Things Digital. Now I'm listening to you, right? And um, it's almost like you're my editors here who would <laughs> like me to write more. Um, <laughs> and uh, podcasts killed the... Uh, Written star. Uh, TBD. Yeah. Uh, but we're constantly thinking about best ways to tell stories. And uh, we love 30 for 30s, for example. And how do we do content like that? Yeah. So, I mean, 30 for 30, I mean, a lot of ESPN stuff comes in the past. They've done it because they've spent a ton of money on sports rights. And then they have that need to fill in space, right? And you can only do so many Or they have some people center. within their organization who are really creative and yeah, want to tell stories. Yes. And then, then they don't. Yeah. And then they get squished. But. Yeah, it's worked out fine for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, we are speaking about a week, less than a week after uh, Sports Illustrated laid off a big chunk of their staff. Reports sure. at half. The people who own Sports Illustrated now say it's now say less than half. Uh, they're going to move to this model where they have some writers at a national level and then at a local level instead of doing what you're doing and sort of hiring beat reporters. Generally, they're going to hire a general manager um, and try to who will try to get people to write for not very much money, sure. it sounds like. Yep. What are the lessons you're drawing from Sports Illustrated's troubles? Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing I think about is, how did we get here? Right In the past year, the, the company has changed hands three times. Uh, and that's, that's disappointing for the folks who work there. The folks it's really who, all just one sale, though. M- you know, well, time to Meredith. And right. Meredith, but Meredith said right away, sure. we're selling us. We don't sure. want but, it. But this like sort of 
child within this parent entity has moved. No one really wants it. And then, you know, the company that buys it doesn't really want it. They want the brand name to put on right. clinics. Uh, like, uh, what, you know, yeah, that's, it's, it's all one slow motion transaction, it yes. seems like. They got yes. one, one person bought basically the rights to put the name on things. And then they went, and went ahead. But that was sold. a year after Meredith bought it. Right. But they were trying to sell it for yes. a year. And, and the fact that it didn't sell is another yes. problem. And then they went ahead and said, all right, if you actually want to run Sports <laughs> Illustrated and the website, you can do that. We're going to charge you for that. It's actually yep. a really good deal for them. I think. Yeah, it is. But more broadly, right, how did Sports Illustrated – Sports Illustrated in many ways – was doing what you're doing, yeah, right? I mean, it's just really well-written <laughs> stuff. You couldn't get anywhere else. It existed in a time where you it was okay to wait four days to, sure. after an event to read about <laughs> it. But but it was it wasn't they weren't just giving a box score, right? These really well-written pieces. I mean, the birth of any new company is generally uh, because there has been some incumbents that are incompetent, uh, lack imagination, whatever. Uh, and Sports Illustrated is probably one of the best examples in media of an absolutely amazing brand. Uh, uh, and I think of it like this relationship between the editorial and business side. Um, you know, this, this relationship between them, um, you know, one party was completely incompetent for so long. Um, it doesn't mean that editorial team isn't shouldn't go off and do great things. And and what's really frustrating is that it has the business side had been run so poorly for so long that it winds up in, in the hands of folks who are going to turn it into something that's probably not the best for the brand. Uh, and, you know, my second point around this, and it's probably the much more frustrating meta point, is that their strategy, the Maven strategy, is actually still a viable strategy in 2019. How is this viable? And why aren't we having a bigger conversation with Google that, like, or Facebook or, or these platforms where it was fun when BuzzFeed hacked the Facebook feed to show you cat videos or or it was fun when you know you know people like Yelp hacked Google to show you restaurant reviews but it's not fun when you know these companies exploit workers but this is the sound of me putting on my my devil's advocate sure yeah. okay if i can figure out how to make low cost content that human beings um, find acceptable and interesting Right, we're not we're not talking about gaming the the algorithm, right? Sure. Um, but if you click on it and it gives you, people are making fun of a, a of a Maven story this week because it was a Notre Dame game and it was like kind of like poorly written. Got it. But let's be honest, you can poorly written is fine in a lot of cases. If right. It communicates what you need and you didn't pay anything for sure. it. Um, and if you can arbitrage the cost between what that costs to make and some, right. but I mean, it's a business. What's I mean, what's, but, what's the problem with that? But I mean, we have to look at. Like the broader ecosystem of journalism and reporting, uh, you know, the companies that are actually doing the reporting uh, that are being aggregated. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell a funny story. It, I mean, it, it funny because it's a silly story, but it's sad. Uh, we did a story on the Philadelphia Eagles about the backup quarterback, uh, McCown, and he had played for, I think, every team in the NFL and thrown touchdown passes to, I think, 37 people. And so uh, our enterprising uh, Eagles reporter got him to try to name all 37. Uh -huh. It was a silly little yeah. thing, but it was very funny. Good stuff. And it, and it was a really fun story. And I think he did name all 37, which is impressive. And uh, if you Googled that player's name, our story would come up. That was cool. Within an hour and a half, CBS Sports took, I don't know, a third of the article, copy-pasted it, wrote a better headline than yeah. we did. Um, and because they're, you know, CBS Sports, they rank well higher, way higher than us on, on Google and took the traffic. 
And, you know, I, I understand that, like— There's also the lament—this is the lament of every every smaller company, right, every smaller right, media company. When, and also, you're a subscription business, so you shouldn't care about the Google rank. But Google does drive traffic, yeah. which drives awareness. And this isn't, like, a sort of uh, religious argument. It's more just if Google and Facebook are serious about journalism and serious about the effects of journalism. And, and we're fine. You know, the athletic is fine. But when local newspapers are aggregated, when the reporting they do are, is aggregated, they're hit a lot harder. Yep. And this affects the reporters. This affects everyone. And, and it's an ecosystem when Google says they care about journalism and throw money at it. Do they? Or do they want to actually have a conversation about, you know, what it, when people are exploited, um, you know, this LLC thing. I mean, this, this is the maven. Yeah, it's embarrassing. I mean, they're going to make their employees contractors. Yeah. Uh, so that they can't unionize. I don't know what uh, what the play is there, but that's that's a really sad state of affairs. Is the affairs. athletics unionized? Is, is, have, they, have the employees come to you yet? No. No. We have a very strong, healthy dialogue with our newsroom. Um, and that's frustrating to me. Um, our work will be aggregated. The quality is low. And this is why our company is successful, to be clear. This is why, you know, real sports fans don't click those articles. Yeah, they might be able to arbitrage those clicks and, and make a little money. Um, but what are they doing to the SI brand long term? That, that's really sad to me um, and frustrating. And so you know, I would hope that the folks at SI that are really good at their jobs consider working at The Athletic. So you have teed yourself up very nicely um, for this quote. I'm going to read the whole thing. Sure. You can sit there and squirm. This is you in 2017. I can take it. Yeah. You've heard it before. Yeah. Quote, we will wait every local paper out and let them continuously bleed until we are the last ones standing. We will suck them dry of their best talent at every moment. We will make business extremely difficult for them. That's you yep. in the New York Times, 2017. Yep. You then apologized. For the tone. For the tone. Yep. So I get, like, you just laid out your business plan uh, in some ways, right? Yeah, which, is, which is we're going to take talent from media companies that can't really afford them anymore, and we will find a way to afford them, and then we'll build a business using that talent. That's right. You know, I think, uh, let me explain a little, uh -huh. I think, because, you know, folks who know me know that that's not who I am personally. Uh, that if you just take that quote, that you know, paints a picture of someone very different than the person I am. But I want to give you know, sort of a little background on, on that and, and why there was a little passion. I'm a passionate guy. I tend to say dumb things on a daily basis. And um, you know, I, I think you know, what happened there is that was, I think, the end of 2017. And uh, I had spent the entire year of 2017 recruiting journalists. And, you know, I think we've established that I knew nothing about media when I started the company. And uh, I've been wrong about so much in media. And the thing that I was most wrong about media is I had this high standard of the brands in media. Uh, the Philadelphia Inquirer is just something I used to pick up off the ground and rip it apart, grab the sports page, get back to bed. And I used to just think of it so highly. And then I started recruiting journalists and I thought I was going to be so bad at it. I thought, no journalist is going to talk to me. I'm just some tech guy. And what I found by sitting down with dozens, at that time, dozens of journalists, uh, and uh, right before that, or a couple months before that interview, or a month before the interview, I was in uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, on the beach with my family on July 4th. They were on, under one umbrella. I was on, under another. I was spent the entire July 4th recruiting journalists, and I was just getting so angry 
because I just heard the same story over and over. Someone had been at a newspaper for 25 years. Uh, their editor was gone. They had to publish their own stories. They had to pick their own photos. Uh, they had to file game stories before games were over. Uh, their benefits had diminished to the point where they were paying more than they thought they should for, for them. No time off. I mean, you're talking about some of the core things that you know, make someone feel safe at a job were gone. So you were angry on behalf of the, the employees? Not necessarily. What I was angry at was these companies think they can treat employees that way. And they think that this is a viable long-term strategy to build a healthy business. And what I learned was most of these newspapers are not these prestigious institutions anymore. They're owned by private equity firms who have very specific targets around profit each year. And that made me really angry. You hear them, they cry. This is not like a joke. These people sit with you. I make a, you know, we're, we're looking at each other, making eye contact, and they're crying. And, uh, because the place they, that used to treat them well doesn't anymore, and they don't know if they're going to be able to do the job they've done for 20 years anymore. This is serious stuff. I mean, it's heavy. And, you know, you hear it over and over, and my family was like, why are you tossing the sand around like that? And it was just, I had been talking to someone, and, and they were so frustrated. And their company had cut benefits, and their, their uh, kid was sick. And it was a very, very frustrating situation. And, yeah, I have anger um, around that. And yeah, if folks at these newspapers or digital entities are going to treat their people this way, we're going to hire their best people. And I still mean that today. And, you know, while they're off, you know, uh, doing whatever they do at the top of these companies, I'm the CEO of this company. We have 475 people. I met 90% of the people in the UK. I met them face to face and recruited them myself. And we have a vision. We have ambitions that, you know, lead to a profitable company with healthy journalists. Like, if you're a reporter out there and your t- and your management doesn't have a vision, yeah. doesn't have a plan to make you feel good about your life and feel safe, then like, think about that. So people have obviously read this quote back to you before. I got to say, when there was a kerfuffle over it, I thought. I don't think this is this big a deal. I get that maybe you, you get some poor word choice, but to me that read like, look, this is what you're telling your investors. This is what you're telling your employees, which is we are disruptors, right? If you hang around tech for very long, you encounter versions of this all the time. There's an entrenched incumbent. We are going to disrupt them. Yeah. We're going to outmaneuver them. Sure. It's it's rah-rah. And when you say it in the Times and you say we're going to bleed a newspaper dry, that, that comes off a little yeah. bad. But the general sentiment, I, I understood. Yeah, but, you know, frankly, it's our pitch decks are very different. You know, the the, the demise of newspapers is is two decades deep. This is a melting ice cube that is yeah, not, not no, going to— f- The point is we're not going to kill newspapers, but newspapers are dying, and we're going we're yeah, to take, I mean, our pitch we're take is about, advantage of that. It's about creating something, yeah. about you know, rebuilding something. That relationship between management and editorial, I really believe that most editorial teams can break up with their management and go form a different type of company. And I really, really believe that. that. That that doesn't mean that both parties are broken just because these companies are broken. I really believe that, that the editorial product for so many companies is so good and the management team is so bad and they're so short-term um, uh, focused. And um, that, that's a shame. And, and we're, we hope that, you know, if anything, we're a light for others to see that people will pay. Uh, if you treat your employees really well, they'll stick around. I want to do a recap. Yeah. Uh, close to $100 million raised, yep. 600,000 subs plus, yep. closing in on a million, you think, by the end of the year, yep. charging 10-ish bucks a month. Sure. 
Can you do this in other verticals? Can you do this in another topic? Uh, you know, it can be done in other verticals. You know, whether or not we take that on, you know, that's a that's a matter of time, and us understanding what those ex- specific opportunities are. But so that sounds like a, yeah, we're thinking about it news can or be done. Something. We are very confident that if you look at uh, you know many other categories, uh, it can be done. There can be you take that editorial team out of some of these companies and you rebuild how you think about the business model. What do you need for this to work in other categories? Because the conventional wisdom up until now has been this works for business. People need that information. They're going to pay for it. Their companies are going to pay for it. And if it's a really niche thing, I always long-haired Persian cat, whatever it is, right? (laughs) If you're a super hardcore whatever fanatic and there's no other information there, you'll pay for it and that's fine. Sports wasn't supposed to work because there's supposed to be too much of it. So where else do you think this could work? You know, I I, I have a really uh, simple answer there is like we talk about our recipe and it's really just flour and water. It's a passionate audience that's truly passionate. Obviously, sports fans are very passionate, and it's a very big, passionate audience. So it's a very, very big opportunity. Um, but if the, if you have passionate people and you have really world class talent, you combine those things, people will pay for that combination. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be cooking. It could, you know, New York Times had success in cooking. Um, it, it could be, you know, I love B two B. I loved your podcast with with Imran from yeah. the business of fashion. Wonderful product built around a very big industry. These are not, you know, the information, right? This is, these are not small companies. These are companies breaking big stories, doing important work. Uh, there are so many categories, consumer, business, you name it. There are so many opportunities to build subscription businesses there. Uh, and, you know, just in the same way that Vox is doing an incredible job thinking about verticals and thinking about content um, with your business model, I think it works. What would you pay for this podcast? I would absolutely pay for this podcast. What would you pay? For what this would podcast? I pay for this, this podcast? Is a fifty cent podcast, dollar podcast? I think I'll just get you in trouble because. Well, uh, All right, let's talk about it off here. I would pay. Alex, thanks for coming. I yeah. waited. I'm glad I waited. Thanks for showing up. Uh, thanks to Jelani and Zach and Joel for putting this together for me. Thanks to our advertisers who bring this podcast to you for free. Hooray for advertising! This is Recode Media. See you next week.